right everybody on this week's episode we're going to be talking about the king of horror himself stephen king we have a great panel assembled to share our thoughts about the master but before we get to that there are a few things i want to point out uh no real news this week because i haven't been at work so i haven't really even been looking at the internet that much there's plenty to do around the phantom zone plenty of horror movies to watch lots of great things to experience other than the uh pestilent bunghole that is the internet but speaking of that internet i'm going to direct you there for a couple of things one go check out the needless things youtube channel the uh, second spooky review of october is up now it is the creep from creep show by NECA really cool figure go check it out Uh, i will have new spooky reviews coming up uh, all throughout the month so please subscribe share those videos uh let me and everybody else know how much you love the effort that i put into sharing these reviews with you guys there's a new episode of audible interlude a gi joe podcast it went up this past monday you can check that out in the same feed where you found this episode and then i messed up some dates last week i said that the creep review was going to be up on monday uh when in fact the audible interlude uh episode went up monday and then the creep review went up wednesday and i also messed up that the audible interlude podcast halloween special i think i said it was going up october 23rd that is not correct that will be a new episode of the needless things podcast uh october 26th monday is when you will get the audible interlude a gi joe podcast halloween special where noel christian and i talk about the spookiest stuff that's happened in gi joe over the years it's really fun we already recorded it it's in the can ready to go Uh, i'm very very happy with this episode and i like doing those audible interlude specials Uh, Just as much as I like doing spooky episodes of the Needless Things podcast, which you are listening to right now. Did I mention we're talking about Stephen King? Finally. This is one of two uh, episodes that I have wanted to do for a very, very long time, but that were such daunting tasks, so prolific, that I've just kept putting them off for one reason or another. And, And this year... I decided it was finally time to just rip the the band-aid off 
and dive into Stephen King and kind of handle the episode however we ended up going conversationally. And in the future, we can focus on different things. But I really, we've been neglecting the King for far too long now. And it was time to, to really zone in and, and get the episode done. So now that we've we've kind of taken a breath and just sort of discussed what we love about Stephen King, which you'll hear very soon now, we can figure out what other things we might like to do in the future. So that's awesome. Great episode. You're going to enjoy it. Uh, please go check out that Needless Things YouTube channel. Check out the Audible Interlude podcast, uh, which I am still working to get into its own feed. That's a very important goal for me. Almost as important a goal as not spending even another cent on producing all of this content that is absolutely free to you, the people. Uh, Shout Factory has done the impossible and collected all all of the Friday the 13th movies into a single box set. Unbelievable. You know, I'm a big fan of the phrase never say never. Uh, I think anything is possible. Never say never. But collecting all of these movies together uh, in a box set, as has been done with many other franchises, uh, most notably with the Halloween franchise by Shout Factory. Uh, I, I just... Friday the 13th's legal entanglements are so convoluted and involve so many people that I, I really just wasn't sure this would ever happen. But it has... And I have it sitting in front of me. It's gorgeous. I haven't even opened it up yet because it, it arrived today. And it's just beautiful. You know if you've seen any of the box sets they've done in the past, whether it was uh, uh, Critters, uh, like I said, Halloween, any of their box sets are, are pretty thorough and definitive. This thing looks incredible. Uh, all 12 films, 16 discs, housed in a slipcase. And this is like a thick... This isn't like cardboard. This is thick, good stuff. Uh, beautiful art all over it. Uh, these are all the best transfers of the movies. All the special features from past editions appear to be included. I'm going to say appear to be included. Now, I, I have not been able to dive into this yet because we're, we're talking about uh, 12 different movies, including the 2009 remake, which I'm a fan of. But this is just a, a, a must-have set for any horror fan. It's I, I'm I'm thrilled. I can't even read off all the special features because it's so many movies. But uh, I can't wait to sit down with this thing. We're we're watching everything. I'll tell you right now. We're going to be watching all of it. And you can still order this from Shout Factory. Uh, the the release date is technically October thirteenth. You see what they did there. But because with Shout Factory, when you order from them. They tend to ship a couple weeks or a week early. So, you know, we got this several days before the actual release date because they're able to do that and say, look, we're going to ship it with the plan that it arrives on the 13th. If it gets there early, then eh, what are we going to do? Uh, so anyway, uh, this set looks incredible. I'm so excited. And I think, I think we've watched all these movies every year for the past, like, three years or so. And we're going to do it again this year. And I had other viewing plans, but this we've got to sit down and watch them all. We, we've got to see these uh, these 4K transfers 
uh, of these legendary movies. Uh, well, okay, some of them are legendary. Some of them uh, still legendary, but just for different reasons. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, last but not least, if you are following me on Facebook, uh, I've been doing a movie log again, which I guess I since I've, <laughs> I'm private on Facebook now, I should probably be doing that on my Instagram instead, which is Phantom Troublemaker. But you, you can't save stuff in the same way. I wish... I wish Instagram didn't suck. I'm just going to sum it up there. And it, it was great until Facebook took it over, and then it just started not being very good. So, uh, But I recommend everybody, just keep track of the movies you watch, because they've actually, uh, over. The, I've been doing this for a few years now, and I can look back at last year and be like, oh, I watched that last year. You know, maybe I'll, I'll check something else out this year. I'll see something on Amazon Prime, because I'm, I'm getting older. The, the mind isn't quite as sharp as it once was. I'll look at something and be like, have I even seen this? And I can go back and see, oh, yeah, I, I did. I don't remember if it was last year or the year before. I actually kept track of every single movie I watched uh, one year. And, and that was just a, a too onerous a task, which it doesn't seem like it would be. But I'm doing little mini-reviews as well, so it's not like I'm just saying, I watched this, and that's the end of it. Uh, but, but I am keeping track of all my uh, spooky movies, and, and I may well do it for Christmas movies, too. I'm not sure yet. We'll see how that goes. But uh, anyway, just fun, spooky stuff. Do what you can. I listen to now, that's what I call Halloween on vinyl today, which, you know, if you turn your nose up at that, maybe you're not much fun I love that kind of stuff. I love when some random like record label person has has pulled together what they think qualify as Halloween songs. Like to me, that's a lot of fun. And and that album's actually really good. Go look up the track listing. It's it's got a couple of different tracks on it, a couple of standards, but to have all of those together where I can just put a record on and listen to them. I think that's great. I wish there were more Halloween compilation albums like that. I would buy every single one of them. Uh so anyway, that's just a little chit-chat for this week. Now it is time to move on to serious talk. Now it is time to move on and finally open the can of worms that is Stephen King and his incredible volume of work. So uh, crack open a cold beer, uh, as he himself possibly would, and enjoy the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast. Joining me tonight are Nicole Gould Cadaver. Hello. <laughs> C-H-A-D. That stands for... Cannibalistic Humanoid Above Ground Dweller. And finally, Gory Mitchell. Baby, do you dig your man? <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, and I'm your host, Demented Dave, and we're going to be talking about Stephen King I've been wanting to do a Stephen King episode for a very long time now, but I'll admit it's kind of a daunting task because of the sheer volume of, you know, not just his writing, but things associated with Stephen King. But this year's the year we're going to sit down and we're going to do it, and it's not going to go at all how I planned because here's what happened to me, you guys. 
<laughs> I sat down to do my research and hit night shift and ended up spending the whole weekend just reading night shift. Oh, wow. Yeah. So my first pick will be night shift, but I'm not going first this time, even though I just totally claimed my first pick. Uh, and this probably isn't going to end up being the go around, make your pick thing that we've been doing lately because it's going to have to be more conversational because there's just so much to talk about. Uh, yeah. One person brings up one thing and that's going to lead to a dozen other things. So what we're going to do is we are going to start uh, with our special guest, Chad J. Shonk. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> Chad, okay. you're you're kind of gonna prompt us with okay. because you're you're the rookie here. And, and by the I way, listeners, am. if you like that concept, stay tuned for next week's episode. Uh, yep. But you're gonna prompt us and and get us talking. So when I put up the call in the Needless Things podcast group for panelists for a Stephen King episode, you guys all responded. And Chad, I, I was—I'll admit—I was a little surprised to see yeah. your hand go up. So, I, so tell us a little bit about that. I read a lot, a lot of Stephen King as a kid. I did, but my fandom didn't last. You know, like I—I I, I stopped reading him. I haven't read a, a new Stephen King book in a while. But I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the man. Yeah, quite a bit. That helps a lot. I like him a lot, and. Uh, and I enjoy several of the movies. Obviously, some of them aren't. But no, I like the guy. I'm just not an expert. And that's fine. Just, we don't need yeah, everybody and, and to be an expert. As my uh, co-hosts on our Star Wars podcast will tell you, I don't read books more than once. <laughs> don't get time for it. And uh, so I'm usually going into our recordings there, and they're like, yeah, I read it. Beth's like, I'm reading it for the third time. I'm like, yeah, I can't <laughs> do that. Uh, so it's not like I've gone back and revisited a lot of these books, but to me it started with um, the very first Stephen King book I ever bought, I didn't finish. Um, I don't know how old I was when I bought Cujo, mm -hmm. but very early on in Cujo, there's like a I forget, it's like a demon or a dog in a closet or a serial killer in a closet talking to the kid or something, and I was done. I couldn't, I couldn't finish it. Um, but if I was to ask... My, the, the big question I have going into tonight is, in Creepshow, is his performance the best performance of all time or the greatest performance of all time? <laughs> it's incredible. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. This, was, in, this was new to me. I had never seen Creepshow. I watched it last night as part of my other thing, my horror movie watch thing. And I, I had never seen him as a full-on actor before. Years ago, you know, the first few times I watched Creepshow... I, his performance to me was, well, I really like Stephen King. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's kind of how I came out of it. But now, I love it. I think it's great. I, I am much more accepting of kind of like goofy, over-the-top ridiculousness than I used to be. And 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 also, it fits in with Creepshow because it's a very tongue-in-cheek collection of, of stories. It's not like it's a serious horror movie. Yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah, I, I love that performance. I think it's exactly... And, and of course, I am biased. Um, but uh, I, I think it was exactly what it should have been. We should it's, go back it's and fantastic. He looks just like Bill Hader, by the way, in that. Yeah. He, you know, he does. Oh, that's yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah, Bill Hader could play that part, like, in a 
remake. Yeah, and that's the movie that gave me my love of piano and scary music. The theme of music in Creepshow is just one of my favorites. Yeah, it was cool. We got a young Joe Hill. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed Creepshow quite a bit, but that was my first question, was how good is that performance? Or bad, either way. But uh, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Yeah, you were right the great. first time. <laughs> it, gave me, it gave me great Leslie Nielsen. Yes. Yes. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Very, very, very young Ted dancing. Mm-hmm. And uh, who was the other one? Oh, Ed Harris dancing. There was a moment yes. where Ed Harris was dancing. That made me very uncomfortable. It, that, may be the, <laughs> that may be the scariest thing in the whole movie. It, it might be. <laughs> well, let's before we get too much further, uh, that, that's a good call, actually. I want to go around and, and kind of share how we each became involved with Stephen King, I guess, for lack of a better word. Because, I mean, you're... I feel like once you have delved into his work to a certain extent, it's it's kind of a different thing from being a fan. Because for me, like he's informed my life. I learned more from Stephen King than I learned from school. Yeah. Uh, I that as I me, but continue. <laughs> as I said, Night Shift is is my first. If we if we were doing traditional picks, was my first pick because. Uh, when I was very young and we would go stay with my grandparents, you know, I've talked before about how my granny is, is kind of the source of my love of horror. We would stay up late and watch the, you know, late night hammer movies or whatever on the local TV station. But she also had this basket that sat by her recliner that was full of horror paperbacks. Uh, Peter Straub, Robert R. McCammon, um, no Clive Barker, that was a little much for her, uh, Dean Koontz, and of course Stephen King, and I remember fishing Night Shift with the cover, the old cover that's the hand with the eyes in it. Yeah, that cover is, is probably one of the best um, paperback covers of all time. It, it is, when I think of sort of lurid horror paperback covers that's the first one that comes to mind yeah. it's, it's to this day that image is very uncomfortable to me that one and um the uh which was a different seasons with the monkey on the cover no it was the other one um, um yeah skeleton, skeleton, crew. skeleton yes. crew right right that uh, one haunted me i actually have one of those monkeys now i i, I bought one because that has always haunted me in the best way the yeah. one that stood out for me was Salem's Lot, that original cover with the black embossed girl's face with the blood drop coming out of the corner of her mouth. Yep, that's the that's the version that I read. So they don't make paperback covers like they used to. So I uh, I grabbed that one out and started getting through it and I think what got me through the book is the fact that it was short stories uh, it wasn't a full novel and I, I have no idea how old I was I, I might have been 9 or 10 I, I don't know I was I was very young uh, because I know that by the time I was 12 I had read a lot of Stephen King books and you know just going through and every few pages it's a new story and so going back to do my research, you know, that's one of the first things I hit on was like, oh, I've got to talk about Night Shift. But then once you get to talking about Night Shift, you're talking about so many different things because half of the movies that we commonly come up with when we're talking about King are adaptations of stories from Night Shift. 
Uh, so many seeds were planted for other stories in that book, but that's what made me fall in love with Stephen King. Uh, I, I remember being scared and uncomfortable and feeling a real sense of reality to those stories because of the way this guy was talking to me and the way that he was telling them. Uh, even though every story has a very distinctive voice, they all felt very human to me. And, and I think that's what reeled me in is, is they just, they're, they're easy reads. They, they are, mm-hmm. there's no way around it, but they're also very, very complex. And, and uh, since then, uh, like I said, I, I, by the time I was 12, I had read a lot of Stephen King books. Uh, and of course now I, you know, books, movies, comics, whatever else. I, I, I love the guy, and like I said, he, he has had a massive effect on my life. Um, Gary, what about you? Where where did you come into King fandom? Uh, pretty much the same area. It, I started reading him as a kid. My mom, I may have mentioned this before in the podcast, my mom was very permissive, and she was a horror fan herself, and her attitude of dealing with it was, you can read or watch whatever you like, just don't come crying to me about it. And so she would just let me read whatever. And I found that night shift. And it's fun, Chad, you say you're a fan of him as a person, because that kind of that introduction in night shift where he talks about being a horror writer. And he's talking about, I want to take you in, and I want to show you this body under a sheet. It just, something about that imprinted on me. Mm -hmm. Where you really get to know him as a person, and then you go into those short stories and say whatever you want about the guy. He is a master of the short story. He is able to put, cut, put together a great concept, flesh out a really good character really quickly. And I think he's almost, as much as I love his books, I think he's at his strongest when he's a come in, hit you, pop out. And after reading Night Shift, I went on to Salem's Lot and pretty much just inhaled anything and everything he wrote. When you're down here with me, you float Unfortunately for this episode of the Needless Things podcast, Gary Mitchell has been sucked into the wastelands, so... We're going we, to... uh, he was chasing a toy boat down the gutter, and we never saw him again. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna continue on to the Dark Tower without him because that's what you do. Uh, yeah. Our our quartet will continue on. So anyway, <laughs> uh, I guess let's move on to Nicole. How did you discover King and become a fan? Uh, so like my short version, um, you know, I was always since. I can remember, you know, my parents would kind of let me watch tame horror movies and was really into them. And when I was 10, um, they let me watch the TV miniseries Salem's Lot. Um, Because it's on TV! Yeah, and and that's what they would do, is, you know, they would let me watch all these, like, made-for-TV shows, which back in the day, made-for-TV miniseries um, were really scary because there wasn't a lot of mediums you had tv shows and you had movies um but you know you didn't have the variety that we have today uh so a lot of the made for tv miniseries were pretty freaking intense and adult oriented um but you know they they let me watch that and my parents were especially my dad huge stephen king fans so as we're watching it, my dad said something about the book, and I was like, oh, this is a book? And I was always a huge reader. And so 
um, they allowed me to read Salem's Lot with the um, requirement from my mother. She was like, okay, you can read Salem's Lot because it's not that scary. However, you are absolutely under no circumstances allowed to read Pet Cemetery because my mom had read Pet Cemetery mm. and it scared the absolute shit out of her. So I read through Salem's Lot in like uh, no time. I mean, like a couple of days. Um, and then immediately went to the public library where there's zero age restrictions. At no, least there, there was at, at in the mid eighties. Um, and walked up and took Pet Cemetery and checked it out, brought it home, hid it for my mother, and I would go to bed at night um, for about three days, stay up all night reading Pet Cemetery, and was absolutely hooked. So of course my mom found out and she found the the book in my room or whatever. And she was like, okay, I'll give you that one. That was my fault. Obviously, you're going to go read it when I specifically told you not to. She was like, but seriously, please do not read it. She was like, she said, it's so scary. My dad was a cop. Um, My dad uh, ran basically all of the murder investigations in the state of Connecticut for a period of time. Uh, So she says, this book gave your dad nightmares. I please, please promise me you're not going to read it. And I'm like, okay, mom, I promise I will not read it. And immediately went to the library, checked out it and read it. (laughs) And then she was like, fuck it, fine, whatever. Um, And I just... just, I, I bought it at my school book fair. Yeah, oh my like, gosh! In, in, in you 19- can get because, uh, any fucking book. As I a didn't kid. touch. I didn't touch a Stephen King book after I tried to to read Cujo, right? Until the It miniseries was coming out, and I bought it at the school book fair, and it was a week before the miniseries. So the whole idea was, uh, could I finish it by the time the miniseries came on? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I bought it at like a Scholastic school book fair. Yeah, like and it that still blows right that blows my mind. I can't see, and I remember the excitement of the book fairs, but I don't. You know, for for me, I don't remember there being like real books, like adult it had, fiction. It had a clown on it, I guess. I don't know. That's <laughs> wild. To me, pretty- like the public library was my my doorway into um, adult horror. You know, through, you know, via Stephen King, um, you know, I would just, I went to the library and I just checked out everything that King had written up to that point and devoured it. Uh, and, you know, in the intervening years have read everything, most of it multiple times. Like Chad said, you, you know, you don't read a book more than once. I am the exact opposite. I I love the comfort of coming back to my friends, like and I'm sure that we'll talk about like my absolute favorite book of all time at some point. Um, but it, to me, if I'm going through a period of like stress um, where you know I, I need something calming, I will reread my favorite King books to like revisit those old friends, and it's, it has a very calming, grounding effect on me to do that. I'm with you on that. I, I have read certainly the decade after I discovered Stephen King, anything that come out came out in that time frame, I have read multiple times. One, because you're right, it is like comfort food. But two, mm-hmm. 
you get as you age as you move through life and gain experience and what passes for wisdom and whatever else and, and take in more you know media and storytelling your perspective on them changes and you get different things out of the same book that you've read four times <clears throat> sorry yeah like you know the uh the talisman is my favorite book of all time um and i'm probably the only person that i know i guess I've, i know myself um that has ever said that i i've never really met another like huge huge talisman fan um I don't know why. I don't know if I discovered it at the right point in my life, but I first read it in my teen years. And it's a coming-of-age adventure story. And it is, it's like everything that I wanted to happen in my life. I wanted to have that grand adventure. So I first discovered it in somewhere in, in my teen years. And then in the the many, unfortunately, many years that have passed since then, uh, I have reread it and reread it and reread it. Um, and not exaggerating, at least 15, probably 20 times, possibly more, to the point where I almost know it by heart. Um, but yeah, like, hitting it at different points in my life, you know, like when I was a teenager, and then, you know, like, as a, a young mom, and, and going through different points, parts of, like, you know, strife in my life, um, that book has always been there for me and it's like just it just continues to like mean more to me as i age and go through my life i think the reason and i don't know i need to go back and read the talisman again with you know as i was just saying everything that's happened to me in the years since i read it to to apply to it uh i didn't i didn't love it the first time i read it and then I went and read some Peter Straub books that his writing style doesn't do it for me. But I went back to the Talisman again because it's it's a Stephen King book. Yeah, I wanna. Mm-hmm. It's got werewolves in it. Like I, I I want to like this book. And I think why I couldn't love it and and why I didn't care for it is because at the time I was so into all of the Dungeons and Dragons books that were out then, like all the Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance and all that stuff, all all the uh Now you're now you're talking my language. All yeah. the well, all the and we'll do an episode about that stuff, man. Um Absolutely. and like David Eddings and the Bulgariad and stuff like that. So like I had all these fantasy uh, Yes, yes, all of these fantasy books, well, and Piers Anthony regardless of what you think of him at the time. Yeah. Way into the guy. Uh, So I had all of these other fantasy worlds that were giving me, like, mainline fantasy, whereas this is a different flavor. See, I love that, like, fantasy sort of grounded in reality idea. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love The Dark Tower so much, is that idea of, like, our world exists... Uh, and then that there's other layers or, or other worlds, other dimensions beyond, you know, just this. That really just was it for me. Was the it was like I can I can relate to this because this is my world. Um, but then there's this escapism of going into this other world and kind of coming back and forth. And that's another thing I think. Going back and reading it is sort of a companion 
to the Dark Tower, which it turns out literally everything he ever wrote is. Uh, yeah. But going back with that perspective, I, I think I might be able to to enjoy it a little more. I mean, I definitely need to get back to it, though. Yeah, and if you look like, you know, there's a part in The Talisman where they, um, Jack, the main character, and his friend Richard are on a train going through the wastelands, or the, through them, sorry, the blasted lands, which is very much comparable to the wastelands on Blaine in, uh, you know, the Dark Tower third book. So you see things in the talisman that kind of came before and after. Like, there's a moment in the talisman when he goes, where Jack goes through this, like, dark tunnel. Um, And it's so similar, not in a rip-off way, in in a very cool way to Larry going through the Lincoln Tunnel in the stand, you know, um, where it's completely black and they're hearing all of these noises and, and feeling, you know, things around them and stuff like that. It's it's just really cool to me. It kind of, it, you know, I love how all of his stuff ties together in one way or another. Well, and what's, what's interesting is if you're familiar with Stephen King's, uh, I guess, writing process or what he says about his writing process, it's that these things all just come to him. They... they come into his head somewhere and go out through his hands mm-hmm. uh, that, that he's almost like a conduit and when you sit down and look at his body of work and see how things sort of come together you know obviously it's it's all coming from the same human brain so things do connect and, and there are similar themes and things do mirror each other but at the same time it there is a feeling that there's a larger world that he's just been trying to express all these years. Like, I I like that his sort of almost mystical explanation for all of this has some credence just just because of the nature of his work that's so unlike any other writer. That that actually, sorry, I was just going to say that actually applies for me because the after it traumatized me, the next book I read was Eyes of the Dragon. Oh. uh, Because I was in the Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance type stuff, just like you were. And that was the one I was told was the closest thing I could get. Wow. I, I adored Eyes of the Dragon. I did too. What was it? Lee Lee Ed, Edwards? What did he write that under? Because uh, it was originally released under a pen name. Oh, um, um, yeah, I didn't know that. When, yeah, when, yeah. I bought, when, I, when I read it, it was, still, it was definitely under his name. I, um, I picked it up in, it up in hardcover, but it it was under Stephen King. And, I mean, God, I've had that book. And I remember reading it because, ever. like I said, because I was used to reading Dragonlance and stuff, and I, 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 I really liked it, but I also remember thinking, like, this is way scarier than a Forgotten Realms book. He yeah, originally... That was, like, his foray into uh, youth fiction, basically. Which is funny, because the youth fiction involves a man, like, stabbing a woman while she's giving birth so she dies. And also, like, burning to death from the inside out in the most horrific fucking way imaginable. But it's fine. Yeah, that's his idea for kids. Why cannot... Am I suffering from the Mandela effect right now? Because this... You... I I, I mean, I don't know everything, but you might... I am (laughs) positive Eyes of the Dragon was originally released under a pseudonym, Lee... L L E I G H a fi- a female pseudonym. You could be right. No, uh, I but feel I, positive I I'm right, but there's no <laughs> mention of this on Wikipedia. Mm. Well, Wikipedia is never wrong. We know this. No, well, never. right, yeah. 
Okay, uh, you guys uh, talk a little bit about my Eyes of the Dragon. I've got to figure yeah. this out. Well, I just remember, I just remember it being yeah, very uh, yeah. It's 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 a high fantasy novel you would call it, but it's so dark, and it was my introduction to the character of Flag because I hadn't read The Stand. So yeah. this I kind think of that was the fir- my first Flag, uh, if I remember correctly. It was pretty close. I mean, and it's the book that clearly got me to read the Dark Tower. Like, yes. like when I heard about the Dark Tower, then I jumped immediately to that uh, as soon as I could because it it reminded because I was like, oh, I want to know more about Flag because he seemed to be the whole reason the <laughs> Eyes of the Dragon existed was him. I think one of, and I could say this about so many of his works, but like the the characters. Um, feel so real you know and he does establish like the good brother and the bad brother but as you go through the story you start to feel so sympathetic to uh thomas the younger brother yeah Yeah. um as like he's he's so tortured and it's just like not his fault um and he's very yeah no go ahead sorry yeah no, I mean, it's just that I think is what, again, I, I read it at a relatively young age and um, could just really sympathize with a character who, like, wanted to be good but had absolutely no idea how to or really, like, motivation, um, you know, and he was just, I just, it made my heart hurt so bad. And it does every time I read that story and i love that he gets his moment in the end to be a good guy aha okay this is this is why i started a website this is why uh it's it's important to do podcasts and to refresh your brain (laughs) because i had wires crossed in my head uh Lee Nichols, it's not Eyes of the Dragon, it's not a Stephen King pseudonym, it's a Dean Koontz pseudonym, uh-huh. and he wrote, uh, well, I'm not going to bother looking it up, because it's not relevant to our com- conversation, but that's, uh, Dean Koontz released a book under Lee Nichols, and I don't know why I related it to Eyes of the Dragon, that's bizarre. Well, we'll, well have to do a say- Dean Koontz fucking podcast uh, sometimes yeah and we'll and we'll totally shit the bed at the end just like he does yeah. yes every goddamn I, time the only thing else i was gonna say about eyes of the dragon that that was different at the time is in is it and this is something that i've gone back and forth on is that king has a very casual writing style mm-hmm. and that is something that at times in my life i have appreciated and hated depending on where i was at with Eyes of the Dragon, the casual writing style is very different from what you usually read in that type of fantasy. Right, right. And mm-hmm. so what, Nicole, you were talking about, about really understanding the characters, I think does come a lot of it, a lot of it from that, is that he's, he's kind of just talking to you like he's telling you a story. And it's, you know, if you read a, a Forgotten Realms novel or, or, or any kind, or even Tolkien or something, there's a stylistic way the characters talk, there's a stylistic way for the prose you, you it, it's uh, very you know, flowery and dramatic well yeah you're trying to present this other world and what eyes of the dragon did for me was it it presented this other world in a voice that was completely understandable and uh 
inside and it, it wasn't it, it didn't worry about point of view or anything like that it had no problem just telling you something you needed to know to enjoy the story even if there was no one there to actually tell you yeah and that's why i love it <laughs> and that's why yeah, i love no, you know it is it is and it's why it's why i did love it like i said but then my um uh 20 20s me who is very much uh, more of a formalist uh, would have a problem with that in, because I got caught up in the same ideas that fantasy has to see, feel one way, sci-fi has to feel one way. Yeah. Um, but going back and looking at Eyes of the Dragon, yeah, this, the casual style uh, isn't always for me, is all I'm saying. But I think with this, uh, it actually makes the book more immediate, and it makes a story that's still original, but you know, it's basically just you know a, a fantasy story. Two brothers. It's kind of got a little bit of the uh, what was it the the Iliad in it. It's kind of with the two brothers and mm-hmm. uh, and, and the arrow and all that stuff, but. It made it a very relatable book for me uh, at the time. Well, and I think I, I wouldn't uh, just me personally. I think of his style as conversational. I think yeah, of yeah. the the way that he writes. It's very strange because when you're reading Stephen King dialogue, it seems very much like you're just listening to people talk rather mm-hmm. than you're reading conversations that a writer wrote. However, his dialogue does not translate to the screen at all. And no, I think, it's written for your imagination. Right. Well, it's not just dialogue, though, with his writing style. It's also his descriptions. It's, it's yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. It's that other stuff, too, is done very... You said conversationally, like someone is sitting down and telling you yes. the story. Um, which is why something like... I think, believe, isn't Dolores Claiborne told all in one big paragraph? Is that the book? Pretty much. Uh, you know, and then you try to make a movie out of that, and I don't know how you do that. And, and that's the, whole... the thing is, I think some some of the adaptations that haven't done been as successful. I think when you go in to adapt something from Stephen King, you don't literally lift the character's dialogue from his books. You have to alter it. You have to get the spirit of what the characters are saying. But when you have people talking, like a paragraph of Stephen King dialogue, it's bad. Yes. It, I mean, I love I love King, and I love many King uh, adaptations, uh, but I also am, you know, I see that many of them are not very good, and he's very difficult to adapt. And a lot of it, I think, is because a lot of this takes place internally for your characters. Yes, yes. So... It's so hard to get that across um, in, in, you know, not a shitty, hokey or clunky way on screen, you know, whereas in a book, you can get inside the character's head. You can go anywhere because it's made to feed, feed straight into your imagination, you know. Well, and it's very important to him to create a viewpoint like you you get into the heads of these characters, whether they're... Well, there are no pure characters in Stephen King, really, except for maybe Jake, but, like, they're... Whether they're the villains or the heroes or whatever, he gets you their viewpoint. So even if it's somebody, like, in The Stand, there are quite a few examples of people who aren't great people, but you see why they're doing the things that they're doing. They're Mm -hmm. relatable, so you yes. can relate even to the villains unless they are meant to be like Randall Flagg, the pure evil, 
Like, you really... He writes... He takes these characters, and that's his starting point. And I think that's why, for me, he's been so powerful and effective to me, because I, I have always felt that all you need are characters. Mm-hmm. Make me care about these characters, and then do whatever you want with them. Do you think that's why some of his more, let's say, earlier high-concept things, killer car, killer dog, things like that, make much more kind of easily streamlined films, right? Because there's something very external that, uh, you know, something like The Stand is usually epic, but but some of those early films, you know, oh, thinking especially of Cujo and dude, Christine, dude, they're just, they're just, the setup is just there. You don't really need trucks, character. Trucks, yeah. Cujo, uh, Graveyard Shift, like all of these yeah. things, you get this character that's compelling in some way, and then he just finds some yeah. weird shit to throw at him. Like that's yeah, the formula and that, and for that a lot of it, cin- and that but that weird shit. It, so really, what it comes down to is that weird shit cinematic or not? And sometimes I think it what is, yeah, what you're saying is not. sometimes right, the simplistic yeah. shit uh, carries over better to film yeah. than the more kind of uh, you know personal struggle type of a story. The you fact- know yeah, like a killer car. You know, like right. there's a killer car and. There's this kid who's a big dork, and then he gets kind of popular, and then the car kills a whole bunch of people. Ta-da! Right. Yeah, really you know, easy. one yeah. of and and I, I, Nicole, I'm sure you've watched it, Chad. You probably have the fact that Mike Doherty was able to adapt Gerald's game successfully. Do you know, I is insane. Haven't. You really need to watch that. Because, I have uh, Oh my gosh! I heard Bruce. I heard Bruce Greenwood was shredded in it, though. That's all I've heard. It's yeah. It's it's actually it's actually a little disturbing. Um, I I read the book. Obviously, Um, it wasn't one of my favorites. I didn't. It's not one of my favorites. My favorite. It works better as a film, which is crazy because it's all internal. It's the whole thing is internal. She's tied to a bed the whole time. It's a woman by herself the whole time. It's unbelievable. Uh, Okay, I I will watch it. Yeah, I, I highly, back. highly recommend it, which I didn't Everybody think I would. Everybody hold on. No. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you right now, the only reason I watched it is because Carla Gugino. It's not a bad reason. It's not yeah, a bad reason, right. Dave. It's That's literally reason. the only reason I watched that movie. And then it Completely legitimate. <laughs> uh, but, so, to, to go back a little bit, because I do want to, we're going to jump all over the place. We're already halfway through, yep. which is great. Um, but, my so night shift was my that that made me know the name Stephen King. The next, you know, I read it. It was huge. It's possibly my favorite book ever, my favorite single book ever. Uh, I've read it over and over and over again once I found it. But my next really significant memory of a Stephen King book, and a lot of it is because of what came after is Titan Comics was the comic shop I went to when I was a kid. Yep. And I would go in and just... Th- there... We could probably do a whole episode about how magical a comic book shop is to, like, a, a, a t- 10 to 12 to 15-year-old. Dude, especially... I was coming from a small town that didn't have one. And when I moved to Atlanta and there were comic shops, holy cow. So, yeah, I'm sure your mind was blown. It, it's Absolutely. It's something else entirely. Well... At one point, Titan Comics had a glass case in the front where the register was where 
higher end stuff was kept uh signed comics uh collectible you know back then there weren't 18 statues of batman released every week Mm. so like statues would be in there and these incredible like vinyl models of like judge dread things like that like remember when they used to hold bootleg cds and glass cases at places yes yes absolutely (laughs) it just reminded me of that you would go to a place that have a bootleg cd and it would be 75 dollars in a glass box case you can still go to the book nook in Lilburn, Georgia, and they have their glass case that's, of that's the exact Im- that's the exact place I'm talking Im- about. Import CDs, yeah, import. Yeah. That's CDs. the exact place I'm talking about. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's still there. Um, okay. Sorry. So, in this glass case, there was a Stephen King book that I had never heard of, and I don't know how old I was when when I saw this. It was twelve to fifteen, probably. Um, so there was this book called The Gunslinger. Hmm. And it was some kind of special fancy edition. I think it was 125 bucks uh for cuz they've released a lot of really fancy editions of The Gunslinger over the years. Like there's a leather-bound edition, there's a slipcase edition with all the original art included like as separate prints. There there's all kinds of crazy additions of this and i don't know which one this was but every time i went into titan which was every wednesday at the time i saw this stephen king book that looked like a western it had like a cowboy on the front and it was nothing i had heard of it's nothing i had seen in walden books and i believe this is before the gunslinger got kind of a wide release or walden books release or whatever it was like I really didn't know what this book was. I just knew it said Stephen King on it, and it was crazy expensive for some reason. And and it may not have been a hundred bucks. It may have been fifty bucks. But for me, at twelve, it might as well have been a hundred and fifty. Uh, and every single time I went in, I would look at this book and just stand there, wishing that I could read whatever this is. Gunslinger. Why is Stephen King writing about it? cowboy about a gunslinger what is this what's this crow on his shoulder what is you know what or whatever the art was on the front i like i said i don't remember exactly but i was so compelled by this book and then finally uh i came across i think in walden books but i'm not sure the oversized trade paperback of the gunslinger yeah, and, which I still have. That's the copy I still have that has the illustrations and everything. Yeah, I've got that as well. Uh, I I got it and I read it, and even though I was already a big Stephen King fan at that point, it I like leveled up because it was so simple. Not much happens in that book, but it's huge it feels epic even though it's yeah. one of his shorter novels and it it created a, a thirst in me for more of whoever this character was but I'll, I'll i'll just never forget going into titan and just looking in that glass case and wondering what is this why haven't i heard of this because you know back then there's no internet i can't just look up stephen king gunslinger you know, I have no idea, and I'm I'm still painfully shy at that point. So it's not like I'm just going to ask the guy behind the counter, "Hey, what's that?" Yeah, I I got turned on to the gunslinger 
touched on to a lot of, of Stephen King. He had that book. And I think that it was sometime around, around when the drawing of the three came out that borrowed the gunslinger from him and read it. Um, and like you said, or maybe it was shortly before, cause he may have been talking about, Oh, this book is coming out. Um, but the same thing, like, I'm not even sure why, like, I love the gunslinger so much. And, and like when, when you try to turn somebody else onto it, especially maybe somebody that's not like a rabid Stephen King fan. Um, when I want somebody like, you know, try, I, Ryan has gone through and listened to the audiobooks of the first, um, three or four of the dark tower. Uh, and, and like, it's like, I'm so pumped up about the gunslinger. And then I start to think about it and I'm like, Oh man, like not a lot does happen. And I love it so much, but like, what if this person doesn't, you know, and he ended up loving it, but still like, it's one of those things that like sharing it with someone you start to feel almost self-conscious about it and I'm like man just please give it a chance and get to the drawing of the three and then take it in all as one story and it's so amazing to me the gunslinger is chapter one and I, I'm sure you know most people feel this way but like the gunslinger is chapter one it is where we establish our hero in this opus that we're about to take on you know uh, and um you know, like you need that first book just to get the sense of like who is Roland, um, why is he so doggedly pursuing the man in black? Um, you know, just the idea that this is his destiny. Well, this isn't just like this guy pissed me off and I'm going to go get. I mean, like this is everything. It's necessary because <sighs> yeah, for for Stephen King, he's setting the tone and establishing the world of something that while in later years we would realize is so closely related to everything he's ever written, but at the time was so different from anything we had read from him. And I'm actually looking right now in 1988 plume released the trade paperback version. So I'm guessing 88 when I was 12 is when I, I got just that, that oversized paperback. That sounds right for me yeah, too. Because like too, yeah. I know my dad had it, but like now, like I have it, so I think I may have bought my own copy of it because I read it, I devoured it, uh, I read the drawing of the three, and I absolutely like the drawing of the three and and the wastelands. Like I adore those so much, um, but I read those first three books, waiting for the fourth one to come out. The years that it took, yeah. Over and over and over and over again, like I, countless I read, times. Um, let's see. I don't. I want to have my dates here. Uh, so, I, the Gunslinger came out, or I, I obtained my copy of the Gunslinger in 1988. Uh, Drawing of the Three came out in 1987. I am going to say by 1991 when The Wastelands came out, I was waiting for The Wastelands to come out. Yeah, Me I, I waited well, for a well. period of time. Yeah. And I reread, the, I reread all of the books before each successive book came out. I did the same thing. So, like, yeah, I read The Gunslinger, and then when, when I got ready to read The Drawing of the Three, I reread the... So it was 
number two on the Gunslinger and number one on the Drawing of the Three. And then when the Wastelands came out, you know, I would go back. But then there was like I think six or seven years between years, yeah. the cliffhanger, the fucking cliffhanger <laughs> ending. Of is that, is that when they're on the train? Yeah, the waste. Well, the wastelands is when they get on the train. Nicole, you are you're breaking up. I feel like Charlie the Choo Choo is interfering with our communications. Oh no, we're gonna have to hit the eject button again. Are you going? Hello? No, I'm still here. Okay. Alright. You sound like Am you're... I here? Okay, now you're here. Oh, you're... Okay. I'm not gonna move. I talk with my, my hands a lot. Well uh, that's actually no, we some dis- that's actually a good opportunity though, because at some point in the future we're going to have to do a Dark Tower episode. I don't want to spend yeah. too much time yeah. on it because it's October, it's the month of horror, and I want to focus on Stephen King's horror. Uh, and while there's plenty to be had in the Dark Tower series, that's worthy of its own, honestly, its own podcast. But uh, yes, I, I want to move on to the next thing I wanted to be sure and talk about, and that is It. Uh, originally, oh, yeah. originally released in 1985, uh, as I said, one of my favorite books of all time if not my favorite book despite some of the uh questionable 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 narrative decisions that were made um it it scared the shit out of me i was so and and i mean a large part of it is that it's about kids i would guess mm-hmm. that by the time i was 11 I had read it, and these kids are basically my age. Yeah, I read it when I was thirteen, and they're like exactly thirteen, I think. And, and you, you feel I, I don't, I don't, I, I think if you read that book at exactly thirteen years old, like exactly, it will stick with you forever. I'm not saying it won't any other time, but it's almost like that book, which is very, very adult. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 every, however, for some reason, it is perfectly tuned for for a 13 year old's brain it, it you're it's you're just learning about sex and the world and all these things it, it just feel it feels enough transgressive that you feel like you're getting away with something but you're also scared to death because you're, like you said these are kids that are in danger and i think that like that right there 11 12 13 despite the fact that if my you know daughters wanted to read it at 12 i'd probably at least have some pause yeah, I would if if my son who is twelve asked like, "Hey, I want to read the the book that movie was based on." I I would have to consider it. Yeah, and but it it was terrifying. I read it in a week, so I was reading a lot at nights, and I was devouring it. But I just think something about my kind of evolving thirteen year old brain made it the perfect book at the perfect time. That okay? So I yeah, like that I you was... mentioned that you were reading it at night because. So often, uh, I would lay down to go to bed, and I would end up just reading for hours all night long, and then sleeping like maybe an hour before I got up to go to school. I did that with, you know, especially in the earlier years, most of the King books. I had to sneak this one, uh, you know, I told the story already, like, so I genuinely was reading it exclusively at night, about, I was about 12 years old. And, you know, like, 
going into my room and like you know just having a the like a very small dim lamp on so that I could just see it without my parents realizing that it's three in the morning and I'm still up reading and yeah it was probably about a week where I just stayed up and just read and read and read and um, I did actually have a couple of nightmares uh, while reading it but uh, Nicole that's because it's fucking terrifying (laughs) yeah you know but but that's why I love it it's the scariest thing I've ever read terrified me on yeah. a level that I had not never even considered before of something just being able to make you that vulnerable uh, no matter what you do or where you go you know so what which of or, or which scenario or which of Pennywise's uh, glamours were the most effective for you for me uh, the leper that Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eddie encounters is hard to deal with. And honestly, as perfect as I think the first, the 2017 it is, I don't feel like it quite got the leper, but I don't know that anything ever could. But you got that no. wicked slideshow, which was a cool scene. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. But there's something about when you're a kid, like, And like you said, Chad, being about the same age as the characters in the book, like when you're a kid, your idea of what a leper is, is is not reality. It's it's this boogeyman because, you know, you've heard of like leprosy. It's this disease that makes your body parts fall off and all that. So at the time when I read it, I had this very frightening, grandiose idea of what a leper was. And that made it that much more terrifying to me. Uh, not really knowing, like, you know, what a leper was or what it meant to have leprosy or anything like that. So, yeah, that w- that part of it is, is terrifying. Um, the, the drain thing really, really got to me uh, with Beverly. Um, I don't like drains. I have weird, like, all, all of my, like, irrational fears are weird and stupid. Um but, like, I won't stand over, like, a shower drain ever. Um, and so, like, just when, you know, the blood coming out of the drain and a voice coming out of the drain is terrifying to me. Oh, yeah. we're Well, we're all, and, and that's something, there have been other horror movies, plenty of horror movies that have used that sort of drain concept. And, and I think we're all, even as kids before we're exposed to that stuff, the drain is scary. Yes. The black, and then the, the idea that blackness. the adults can't see the, you know, the blood that comes out. Everything about that that whole scene. Uh, and, I mean, and just her relationship with her father and just, you know, it's chilling. But the, the very idea of, like, the monster down in the drain, um, that really, like, to this day, I'm still, like, a little nervous. <laughs> Like leaning over a sink drain, I'm like, maybe there's a monster in there. If it talks to me, I'm gonna shit myself. See, one thing I found fascinating reading it as a kid too was the adult stuff because by then I wasn't. I, I I don't know for some reason the adult stuff scared me as well because here were these adults that were frightened, mm-hmm. and you don't think of adults as being frightened, right? When you're when you're a kid, and so that part of it definitely affected me as well. I mean, I think we have to address personally, this is my opinion, is that 
one of the things that makes it appealing that way is King is himself kind of immature at times, right? He does have an immature streak to him. Yeah. And I mean, mm-hmm. in a good way, but like he, there's, there's a good part of him that's still a 13 year old boy. And, uh, so I think that's why that book hits that exact wavelength is that, that kind of immaturity. I mean, uh, and, and that, or not immaturity, but that ability to think like a young kid, cause that would go on for something like, uh, uh, stand by me. Right. Same, same kind of thing or where you're, you're taking these kind of, I'm also from a small town. So any of these kind of like boys in a small town, kind of on their own type type of things, I always kind of identify with. I'm from sorry. I'm from a small town in the '80s where we would just walk around. <laughs> right, stuff. right. That that's you know. the the clarification yeah. you got to make. Yeah, right well, there. small town in the '80s yeah. where your parents would just go, "All right, come back by supper. Don't die." And yeah. you would just wander around town, you know, on your bike or without. And so it was very easy, I think, then. To and that's maybe why it does it wouldn't I don't know if it would be as effective now. It was very easy then to imagine yourself in the scenarios that the Losers Club were in. Yeah, because that's because the you would do that. I was you living. Just, yeah, I'll meet you in the woods, or I'll just yeah. It didn't matter. You just tell your you parents, parents I'm going to go play. You see a large culvert. You you're had, like, let's check it out. Yeah, we, yeah. Let's go in this sewer drain. When, I did that when I was <laughs> yeah. reading about the Barons. I had a very specific place in the woods at a creek that I would picture in my head when they're talking about it to the point where I was like I wonder if we could dig a, a fort in the ground out there like it, right. it, that's literally just what I was picturing in my head uh I know you guys have some notes have some things you want to talk about as well so let's move on to uh Nicole what what was one specific Stephen King thing that you wanted to discuss um God, so much but I think being um, Halloween, I want to talk about the Bachman books really quick. Okay. Um, because, you know, I, I had the actual, the Bachman books release that was the four stories, uh, Rage, The Long Walk, Roadwork, and The Running Man. Yeah. Uh, which you cannot, uh, I don't believe you can get anymore. It's, it's gone out of print because of Rage, which was a school shooting story. Yeah. Um, it's It's a fantastic novella I guess um, fantastic but story I will say this real quick I will say this uh, something I wanted to mention earlier uh, many of the Stephen King books that I got came from used bookstores yes that going in there was a, a much different and I would say more wonderful experience than going into any franchise bookshop and book, used bookstores are still around thank goodness mm-hmm. so oh, smell that you, smell you could yeah. yeah yeah very unique smell uh yeah. but if if you want your own copy of the bachman books that's probably a pretty decent place to check because it's not yeah. it's not like it was a limited run it's just not being published now yeah you can still find it um i've got my copy from when i bought it a trillion million years ago but i want it specifically... sorry real quick have they split it in the pieces or are they just just it actually it started anymore. off in pieces and then came into when right. it was released as Richard Bachman. Okay, it was right. they were all released separately. Because um, the only one I then, know that of course the Running Man, very, yeah. you know, because of the movie. But uh, I didn't know it was I didn't know it was not, wasn't in print. Um, but yeah, they took it and they put it into those four stories into one um, and called it the yeah. Bachman books. Uh, yeah, I remember that. 
because yeah. he was very quickly outed as Richard Bachman. I mean, everybody kind of figured it out really quickly. I, I, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you a question as a as a, as a non super fan. Why? Why was the na- why the name thing? Real, real quick, the in name? a sentence, what was the name thing from? Okay, so it was originally going to be, and actually, I, I googled this because I didn't remember the original name. But it was originally going to be Gus Pillsbury, <laughs> which was like a family person like his grandfather or some family member's name um but people like as soon as he started working as gus pillsbury people figured it out and so he was um like with his agent and his agent was like well you need a pseudonym now and the reason why he initially had a pseudonym was yeah that's what i want to know he wanted to figure out yeah well he wanted to figure it was two twofold um talent versus luck versus like so he's like are people just buying my book because it says Stephen King am I just getting lucky or am I actually talented I want to see if I really have this talent and God damn, he, that's the writer thing to do <laughs> but like it and I, it, it may still be a thing but like at the time you you publish one book a year um, that's what they wanted you to publish because you know with marketing and everything that you would get one book a year and then they would start marketing the next one. They don't. They don't want. They don't want the new book to take a chunk out of the sales. Exactly. Of your life. They don't want you to oversaturate the market and then everybody gets fucking tired of Stephen King. Well, Stephen King's a very pro- prolific writer and he's like, I got more than one book a year in me. So it, you know, having and, and the name came from Bachman Turner Overdrive because he just liked them at the time um so uh but um what was that i said holds up yeah sure okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um you know so he just he wanted okay. to see like a i want to i want to do more work and b um do people really like me or did i just get lucky a couple times and they're continuing to buy my books because of I- that I will say I accept the first one. I think the second one's bullshit, but I'll accept. I'm, I'm not saying it's not true. I think it's stupid reasoning, but I will accept the first one. <laughs> but I want to talk fast. about, as far as the Bachman books, my favorite one, the one that everybody knows is The Running Man, and then everybody knows Rage because it was kind of controversial. The Long Walk is, that's my story from the Bachman books. The Long Walk is, uh, it, and all the Bachman books are kind of like a dystopian type of a thing, but um. The Long Walk is very simple. It's a dystopian, future-ish thing where uh, we, uh, you're assuming America is like under the rule of this really shitty dictator guy. And um, life is very bad. And every Hard year, to imagine. When, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's weird how this stuff gets more and more relatable as we go. Um, science but, fiction. It's all, it's all just science fiction. 100 boys... Uh, around the age of 18 I think it's like maybe 15 to 18 or 15 to 20 it's like teen boys, 100 teen boys are they put in for the long walk and they're selected by a lottery Uh, if selected, essentially what they have to do is walk Um, per the book they they have to keep up 4 miles an hour which if you actually walk 4 miles an hour it would be really hard to do that for a long period of time but that's neither here nor there um but they all have a little tracker on them, and they have to walk four miles an hour. If they fall under that that speed, uh, they get a warning. If they get three warnings within a certain period of time, they get shot to death uh, in, in the street. Um, the winner is the last surviving walker. So it's uh, Battle Royale meets speed. But, but just walking. Um, and but the the psychological 
exploration of these kids. And, like, they know logically, like, either I'm going to die or he's going to die or most likely we're both going to die. But obviously they start to form relationships because they're going through this traumatic thing together. Like, they all very quickly, like, once they see, like, the first couple guys die, they realize the situation that they're in. And there is no backing out, you know, there, there's no other option. You either are the last walker or you die. Um, and so, you know, these guys form these relationships and then they watch as the people that they're walking next to are, you know, just shot in the street and dragged off. Um, and then you finally get to, not to, you know, spoiler, I mean, this book came out in the freaking 70s, so sorry if I'm spoiling it for you, but um, the final... Walker is just is mad, absolutely mad by the time. I mean, and they they like literally have been walking and like there's no stopping to sleep, there's no stopping to eat, there's no stopping to shit. You know, you slow down for a second, you catch a warning, you got to catch back up and you got to wait for like an hour I think before that warning comes off. And that's another one that I've just read over and over and over again because it's so it's just such a powerful look at like a human being with absolutely no options. Um, you know, in a group, and it's phenomenal. So if you've not read The Long Walk, please do. <laughs> it's a novella, so it's a short book. That yeah, sounds great. Yeah. I'm going to throw another short story out there, and, and then we're going to uh, – we'll hit Chad one more time, and then we've got to wrap it sure. up. But I want to mention Survivor Type. It is uh, from – originally written in 1982 but released as part of Skel- as part of Skeleton Crew. Mm-hmm. It is about a surgeon who gets stranded uh, stranded on a desert island. <gasps> oh god, I love this one. Nothing but heroin and yes. his surgical kit. I have posed this question to people about Okay, go on, sorry. It's <laughs> it's one of the most horrifying things I've ever read in my life. Mhm. Because he, over the course of the story, eats himself, cuts his parts off, and eats himself to survive. And it's grim and horrible and morbid and upsetting and disturbing. It's one of, I would say, because when people ask me what's the most disturbing movie I've ever seen, it's Tetsuo the Iron Man. I would say this is my Tetsuo the Iron Man of literature. It, it is but it's fucking fascinating. Oh, it's incredible. Though. The idea but of it's like so upsetting. Can, theoretically, I mean, like, can you survive right longer by eating your own foot? Like, and King yeah. apparently consulted <laughs> with uh, with a surgeon friend of his, and like, did he he did his research to see how far this guy would get. Um, but my gosh, it, it's just horrifying. And it's funny because there's no monsters. There's nothing supernatural about it, which is usually my preference for my horror. Some of the best King is the monsters are the people or yes. yourself or, yes. you know, something or circumstance. Real. Yes. Uh, so if, if anybody out there has not read this, uh, I don't know if I can in good conscience recommend it. But it's it's something else. I will check it out. 
Uh, Chad, why don't you uh, why don't you bring us home? What what was another uh, note or bullet point or whatever you had? Sure. So what I won't do is go off on how Dreamcatcher is the worst movie I've ever paid to see in <laughs> theater. Uh, I agree with you that it's absolutely horrible and embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, it is, so what it is I, cocaine. <laughs> what I would like to ask you guys, and this is to stay recent, is what did you think of, I didn't read the book yet, what did you think of Dr. Sleep, the movie? Uh, it was appropriately named. Because See, I, I had, I, I really liked it. I wanted to, I had some interesting, specifically what, and again, it opens the door kind of to the Shining conversation. But the fact that the filmmaker basically took the ending of the, the original ending of The Shining, took out the original ending of Dr. Sleep, and gave King... So made, what was weird about it, watching it, was he made a sequel to Kubrick Shining, but it all he also made a, a new adaptation of King Shining. If you know what I mean? Like, the whole last yeah. act is, with the boiler and everything, is 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 the end of the is the end of the the original end of the shining right that he worked into that i don't know i kind of enjoyed it i thought it was a cool did you guys read the book so i read the book uh, i haven't gotten around to seeing the movie yet okay um yeah because the movie takes basically rewrites the whole last act but with king's permission which is weird because he's not a huge fan of kubrick's adaptation no, but which this, we could this, this do a changes, whole episode about that. But. but this change is kind of a fuck you to Kubrick. That's what I'm saying. Like, like the change is okay. like to go back to, because the the movie itself feels like the director is definitely a Kubrick fan and definitely a fan of the Kubrick film, and so he's trying to write a line of making a film that feels like a sequel to The Shining that you know from 1980, but then it also has this this the but the last act is very much straight out of the original story. And I thought it was kind of an interesting way almost to like try to put an end to this saga <laughs> about him or about us arguing over The Shining, you know? Um, yeah. And uh, I, I don't know. I just thought it was very interesting. But if you know, it's definitely worth – I think it was worth checking out. I don't know. I thought I, it was really cool. I didn't – I haven't read the book. Uh, I did not enjoy the movie. I thought it was Ewan McGregor mind-bogglingly dull and, and he was un- a little uninteresting. Bit. Uh, I like Rebecca Ferguson. I, I I honestly did not like a thing about the movie. I, I, oh, really? It, I really enjoyed and it. And I bought it because I was so confident because it's, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mike, it's the same guy that did Gerald's Game. Yes. Did yeah, Mike Flanagan. Yeah. I think I said Doherty earlier, which is... Yeah, it's Mike Flanagan. He, he, also, is, did the, he also was the director of The Haunting of Hill House. Yes. Uh, and yeah. I like him a lot. I like everything else he has done. I... Really? I did. I, there's no no reason to belabor it. I did not enjoy this movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah I, yeah. I I dug it. I I read the book. I liked the book. Um, it does not compare to The Shining. Well, no. Uh, it's. I mean, it's it's great to kind of catch back up with Danny. Um, but you know, I wasn't like, oh my god, I have to see this right away. And I like it. I like everything that King. You know, King could. You know. What's my question? Well, his nose in a napkin, and I'd read it. But has he done outside of Dark Tower? Is he done? He hasn't done a lot of sequels, has he? I mean, yeah. I mean, this, he has, he has Black House, which that... is a sequel to The Talisman. Um, okay. He, oh god. I mean, other he, he does. He he likes to revisit shit. Well, and sequel is a tough word to use with him. Well, that's what I'm saying. There's not so many things. 
So I say not considering that everything's connected and not considering like something like the Dark Tower, but just like there was never a, I mean, there was a movie called Carrie, too. But, um, well, and and but to go back and this is kind of kind of perfect because it brings us full circle to go back to Night Shift. So many of the stories in that collection uh, sow the seeds for later works. There's something that is uh, part of the stand. Uh, there that that is essentially taking place at the same time. Only the stand had not come out yet. Yeah. Um, there is. Let's see. I've got some notes here. Uh, oh, I thought I had made notes on this. Apparently, I did not. But an, a number uh, of the in, stories in Night Shift are. There's are, a Jerusalem's Lot story in yes, Night Shift. Yes, the opening story um, that is not really Salem's Lot is and then was kind of expanded on in a way in the uh in the second season of castle rock which by the way that show is fucking awesome yes yeah um he does like well and then he did he did like a trilogy uh like i said the talisman he did a a sequel to that and it's called black house and um you know it's it's good it's not um you know i i'm like fully obsessed with the talisman um but but it's it's definitely worth reading and then he did a trilogy uh about god what was the oh name mr of the mercedes yeah the mr uh, mercedes one uh finders okay. keepers and end of watch well and then which, desperation and oh desperation and regulators regulators which yeah are those go together that's a bachman King stories thing. right yeah. okay. he okay. brought he brought the richard bachman pseudonym back for regulators I think. Uh, one of the two yeah he gimmicked story. it up yeah. and so like if you take the the two which i have somewhere the hardcovers and you put the books together it makes one picture oh, and it's it's very, a, very good i like i love them. the experiment it, it's yeah. very cool to read those back to back well um, the, the only other thing i had on my list uh really was uh two things real quick on writing his book on writing is actually really good that's something i have read of his recently yeah okay the book that he wrote up is, is fantastic and i noticed it and i don't i that there was there's been uh, us talking there's no mention of his um non-supernatural works you know what i mean like one of the most popular movies of all time based on a Stephen King short story. Oh, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. It's you know, fantastic, so, and it's one of the most... Stand, stand By Me, The Green... I mean, uh, The Green Mile, I guess, is a little supernatural. But. Yeah, but Shawshank Redemption, I think, is one of the truest adaptations and one of the best adaptations uh, of a Stephen King book. Like, if you read the book and watch the movie, I mean, it's yeah. it's almost, like, beat for beat. Um, and they're no both... Yeah. Ex- except for, yeah, Rita Hayworth. Um, yeah. But absolutely fucking amazing it's just like and i know i know we're talking halloween so i wasn't gonna dive into it <laughs> although stand by me is creepy don't 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 sleep on stand oh, by yeah me. that's just absolutely that's a y'all want to go see a dead body is always creepy mm-hmm. so to wrap this up what i'd like to do is go around to each of us and which do you think and we're not you know we we haven't specifically been talking adaptations or or anything but just out of curiosity what do you think actually is the best adaptation of Stephen King's work? Uh, I am going with Misery. Misery's pretty good. I'm going to yeah. say Carrie. Carrie or, De, or the De old Salem's Carrie? Lot. Yes, okay. because Piper Laurie and Sissy Spacek, but Piper Laurie yeah. is a, a just a new level of fucking amazing. It, I mean... 
she's she's absolutely phenomenal in that movie. I mean, I think that that's one of the best performances ever captured on film. Piper Laurie is so goddamn good in that movie. Anyway, I, I think uh, the best movie is The Shining, but the best adaptation for me from what I've read is It Part One, uh, not Part Two. Part yeah, Two not Part Two doesn't exist. But It <laughs> Part One has been my favorite that I felt like when I and I'm not talking Part One of the miniseries either. <laughs> the, the, the movie that came out in 2017. Yes, um, I, I'm still waiting for them. I really, I will watch it if they finally put out a cut that's like the novel cut, you know, where they cut them together to see if that maybe salvages some of the stuff. I, I'm too. very curious to see that. I'm sure there's, I'm sure a fan has done it somewhere, but that's the one that me that like when I watched the new it, I was so happy because it it felt right to me again the kids were the right age the kids were great and and it and it felt completely right but as a film guide i think the shining is the actual best film but as i i i'm well aware and especially from his point of view not the best adaptation i look at them as two completely separate stories and i love them both equally and separately yeah i i agree with that definitely i appreciate both so at the end of the show, it is time for everybody to talk about what they're doing and where we can find them online. Nicole, let us know what you're up to. Uh, I am up to Cadaver Candles. Um, Ryan and I have just recently started our uh, candle company. Um, if you're familiar with some of the candles we've made in the past, um, you will see some favorites and also some really glorious New candles like Devil's Day, which is uh, pumpkiny, folly greatness. So check out Cadaver Candles on Facebook, Instagram, and the store, I believe, is cadavercandleco.bigcartel.com. Uh, so go buy our shit. And finally, CHAD, what are you up to? Where can we find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Chad J. Shonk. Uh, I have two podcasts. I have, of course, on the Needless Things podcast family. I have Execute Chapter 66, where me and my two co-hosts read Star Wars books and talk about them. And then I have my new podcast, A Feat of Lunatic Daring, where me and my friend are going through and watching at nearly everything Jim Henson ever made and telling the story of his life. So it's, uh, if you're a fan of Jim Henson or The Muppets or The Dark Crystal or anything like that, we're going chronologically starting in 1955 and watching everything except for Sesame Street because there's 50 years of it and we don't have time. So a feat of lunatic daring. If you want to check it out, it's on all major podcast platforms. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for coming on talking about Stephen King. And seeing as one of the staples of horror is the sequel, next week we will have the sequel to The King of Horror. Only we're going to make some cardinal mistakes. Some of the main characters will be back, but we're switching protagonists this time around. So if you want to find out what is going to happen after the conclusion of this episode, you'll have to tune in to the Needless Things podcast next week for the Chad of Horror. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hi. Do you know what scares me? People who don't use their local library. Actually, it's a great place for everything. From watching videos and listening to music to using a computer, even literacy training and family reading groups. And of course, it's still the place to find all the books you could ever want. So check out your local library. Who knows? We might just run into each other. 
You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.